Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, MrDiceGuy.com, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I'll be talking about Newton. And I am going to be talking about Targi. I, oh God, I don't have a something for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. We're going straight into doing, thinking, playing board games. And uh, uh, you know what? Um, let's. Uh, who, who wants to? Who wants to go? I always, I, I always, I always like balk. It's like it's like a bad pitch. Opening pitch. Uh, who wants to do this thing? Okay. Sure, I'll I'll, I'll take I'll take it this time. Right. I'll take it this time. So uh in uh Jen and I's kind of pile of games that we've been going through, um, we've come across another get this, another two-player only dual type of game. I know Ian's really on these name things. <laughs> so we've got Emotep the Duel. So this is a this is a, now they've created a two player only game, based off of the uh, Emotep uh, board game. But now they've created just this two player dual version. Well, I've always um, wanted to hear about this game. Right on. Um, it's designed by Phil Walker Harding. He designed the original Emotep, and uh, it's published by Cosmos. Um, so yes, <laughs> this is another one of these games that has a bigger sibling board game. Uh, and they created this strictly two-player dual version. Even though the two-player game, uh, two-player version of the original game was actually quite good, so I don't know why they kind of I've made this. That, yeah. but, uh, um, but much like what happened with uh, another game that we really enjoy, which is Seven Wonders Duel, um, that was made, um, they kept the same core aspect of the gameplay, um, but they changed it up enough to create a a, a pretty new experience. Um, so in this one, you don't have stone resources. That was a big thing in the big one. You had these stone resources that you had to gather, and then you had to put them on boats, and then you had to send those boats over to different locations. Um, you don't have that in this game. Rather, all you have uh, at your disposal is you got four workers. It's a worker placement game. Um, then you'll place them out onto this three-by-three three grid. And um, on one end of each of the columns and rows of this grid are, are the boats. And they have a whole bunch of different various different types of tiles that you can collect. Um, 
once a column or row has at least two workers in it, so it can either be two of your workers, two of another player's workers, one of each, as long as you have at least two workers in, the, in a row or column, um, you can spend an action to unload a boat, which means you, you, take, you take the, uh, the goods off, of, the tiles off of it, and the way you take the goods off is depending on where your workers are in association with that boat. So if you are um, closest to the boat, you're going to take the tile that is farthest away from you. And if you're in the middle, you'll take the middle good, so forth, kind of like that. Um, uh, where am I on here? I'm, I'm losing it all. Okay, each player has a, has a player board. Oh, yeah, this is what it is. Too many subtitles. Yeah, to, uh, each player has a player board that's made up of four double-sided pieces, um, each with their own way to score points, and that's where these tiles are going to go. Um, each tile di dictates what kind of good it wants and how you're going to score points. So it's kind of variable in that, re in that regard. You can switch them all up every now and then. There's an A side, B side. Um, lots of very interesting decisions to be made as to where you are going to place your workers. And when do you unload a boat? Possibly messing up another player's plan. This happens quite a bit. Mm -hmm. As in, you can see as people are loading or putting their workers down, you can kind of guess which kind of goods they're going to go for. And so therefore you can unload a boat and then type totally wipe away the workers in that row or column. And then they have to kind of start from scratch again. Um, very well done in production. Uh, very good game design, I would say. It's in the same weight and kind of the same vein as that Seven Wonders duo. Mm -hmm. uh, it plays quickly. It's a 20 to 30 minute game. Um, yeah, this is another one of those dual games. I kind of highly recommend this one. This one changes up that core gameplay just enough that it's something brand new. And it's very good. It's almost very, it's very chess-like where you're playing your guys and when, when do you execute a move type thing. Yeah. Emotep the Duel. And be prepared. I've got a lot more of these The Duel games coming yeah. in the future. <laughs> well, I, I, I really like um, Philip Walker Harding's games. I'm, I mean, uh, he's one of my favorite. Uh, he tends to do the light to light medium stuff. Like I've got Cacao, um, uh, Archaeology, right? I mean, all of a sudden yes. I started looking Sh going, wait a oh. Sushi go, yeah, the sushi go party. We like, sushi go, okay. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The more I look around, the more I'm like, hey, wait, that's a that's Bear. another okay, all right. Baron, so I'd like Baron him more. Park. Yeah, Baron Park is another really good one that's, that he's done. So he's 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 got a good repertoire. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, he, and I've yet to play the, the. He's another designer that when he releases something, I kind of pay attention to. Cool. Because it is all usually on that lighter, that that lighter to medium heavy. Um, and so they're usually games that a lot of people will enjoy. Right on. Right on. Well, I had the uh, opportunity to uh, pick up from Jeff off of his uh, Ding and Dent uh, section on his website at Amazing Stories, uh, War of Whispers, sorry, A War of Whispers by uh, Jeremy Stolzfus, uh, published by Starling Games. And um, uh, it's a two to four player uh, man, this is so weird to explain how this is, but this is what drew me in so much. It's a two to four player game. It's uh, about political secrets and espionage set in a medieval-esque period, right? Not, not a, necessarily uh, any maps that we would recognize, but thematically we kind of get that kind of, you know, factions fighting factions kind of thing, a la, you know, Game of Thrones um, situation. But in this game, you're not playing any of those factions you're playing 
um, one of four secret societies operating in the background, um, manipulating and influencing these, let's say, clans or factions or countries or empires to either go to battle or to um, uh, uh, replenish their their um, banners. And in this case, banners are like armies, right? Um, depending on how you select it. So uh, you're one of these secret societies. And on your player board, you this is the betting bluffing thing that is so cool that intrigues me a lot is that um, on your on your player board, you have uh, a picture of each of these factions or clans or empires, like I said, and um, you place them on place them down in such an order that from left to right, you have um, times four times three times two times zero and minus one. So you have to choose at the end of the game, which of these clans or empires are going to um, give you the best multiplier opportunities. And what you're multiplying are the cities that are within these empires, the cities of control. So let's say that the, the um, bear clan has four um, cities at the end of the game that they control. And, for so, and, and coincidentally enough, you've put that um, icon, uh, you've bet at the end of the game that they're going to make you four times the amount of cities. So if they've got four cities, you just made 16 points just off of that one scoring opportunity. Now go to the opposite end of the spectrum of that, of that player board is minus one. There's going to be, everybody's going to have an empire on that board that if they're successful is going to cost them points in a bad way. Right? So whoever had the bear clan in the negative one spot, you just lost 16 or you just lost uh, four points, my friend. Right? So, and and as, as I said, it successively goes down in the order of their importance that you're wagering these, the interaction of these, uh, of these countries. Now, how do they work? You go around the board and you have spies that, that influence each country. And it, it's, it's on a circular track, but it's basically a recipe. You start from the top and, and it's always this country goes first, this country goes second, this country goes third, this country, right down the list. And on the list, you have uh, each country has four things or four uh, um, uh, um, advisors that you can influence. And each advisor will do something different on the board. They'll either allow you to put more banners on or allow you to attack or allow you to take a, uh, a special power card that in combination with certain actions allow you to increase the volume or the power of that action. And this is such a cool push-pull game. I just did a couple mock plays, um, enough so that, you know, when you, when you look at a mechanism and go, that intrigues me, and enough so that, that I bought the game and went, okay, I, I, I flushed it out a couple times. I, I like what's going on. I want to play this game with, with people because this, to me, seems like such a cool push-pull battle. And there's an interesting thing that you can do um, at the end of every round is if your if your champion if if your empire that's in that times four bonus spot is getting the snot beat out of it by everybody else, um, you can do a switch. But you have to now what's hidden information you have to reveal to everybody what two tokens you're switching spots on. 
So now everybody knows, okay, you know, Norm's in. Uh, he, he just got rid of his top spot and swapped it out with the, the, the Crow Clan. All right, we know that the, he's times three on the Crow Clan. Let's be aware of that, right? So that's that whole thing is like, oh, I'm, 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 I might get my teeth kicked in because this one clan who I thought was going to do well isn't doing well. And I switched it. That to me seems so cool too. So uh, I'm going to basically bribe you guys as much as I can to play this game whenever we can. That's how much it intrigues me. It actually, it sounds interesting. I've never heard of it before. Is it an older game or a newer it's, game? It's 2019. It's one of these games that under the radar, man. If you, I have no idea if this is similar or not, but have you ever played Kremlin? No. Because this is kind of sounding. I've heard some reviewers say this is Game of Thrones in an hour. Okay. Because Kremlin is a is an interesting game. It's an older game, but it's Russian politicians. Yeah, and you're like same thing. You're working behind the scenes to try to get certain politicians up in the ranks. Uh, that's what it kind of reminds me of. But it seems I don't really remember how that works mm-hmm. exactly. I remember liking it and thinking I'd never really seen a game like it before. I thought if I revealed the mechanisms of this game to you guys that it would intrigue you enough to be like okay because it's not a dudes it's not a risk you know game or access and allies game because mm. you're not the countries it's i just find and that whole that whole betting thing yeah it seems pretty cool right? it's and, like- I, and understanding that that the map is reflective on the positioning the country who's who's in the middle and surrounded on all fronts has has less uh, um, borders shared, right? So there's all these weird, interesting balances in in how the uh, the geographic positioning influences the actions of that country that you're able to take. So, and it, yeah, it wasn't like every country has the same. You know, the first guy does this. Said, no, it was all mixed up in balance and retrospect to the geographical and strategic and military militaristic positioning of the people on that board. So, yeah. Yeah, it intrigued me. This looks very interesting. Yay! And it's on, and again, I don't know how much you guys are like playing online, but it's on Tabletop Simulator. Yes. Cool. Yeah, they just came out. They did, I think they did a a deluxe upgrade kit for the first guy. I think they They, did a. I heard that. Yeah, they did a, they did a second. They already kind of did like kind of like a second edition, but they kind of like upgraded some of the components. And stuff like that, and uh, I think just introduced a couple new modules mm-hmm. um, in, into the game. This one always, this one always sounded interesting. Good, to me. good, because because to me that you know <laughs> you can't solo a game like this and get everything <laughs> yeah. out of it. Yeah, it's like I'd have to like put a spike in my frontal lobe so I could forget what I did the round before. Huh. Not advising anybody to try and do that. <laughs> please don't do no, that. Please don't do that. I, I, I trust me, it scars up, and it, it everybody sees it. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, War of Whispers. That yeah, that's an interesting way to finish off that one. Is jab a <laughs> jab a sharp metal object into the side of your no okay, um, Labadi Munich. Yeah. Um, Ian. Oh, okay. Uh, what do you guys want to hear about? No, uh, <laughs> I know one I want to hear about. <laughs> I'm I'm interested in the second one, just because of the of the my 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 acquisition. But what are you what are you hinting at, Ryan? 
<laughs> For people who don't know, we're looking at three options that Ian has to talk about. And you know what? It'll be like a game show for the listeners. He is going to t- could, could talk about Arkham Horror or could t- about, talk about Bruges or could talk about Orléans. I kind of want to hear his thoughts about Arkham Horror. Now, is this the card game or is this the board game? Sec- second board edition, game. I believe. The board game. I believe it's second edition, right? I think. Is this the one that takes five uh, days to play? Yes. <laughs> um, no, it didn't take us five days. Yeah, so this is, Arkham Horror has been around for a while. Like, I think it first came out like in the 80s or but they're something. They're still like playing that. the first game that they. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I. Um, my buddy wanted to try it out. So, okay. We thought we'd try it out. Um, it's not a game for me that was the most polite i've ever heard it but i'm glad that uh i got a chance to play it because it's got a big reputation right in the board game community um there's some really cool aspects what you're doing is you're moving characters around a board to different locations there's like this this city that you're traveling through but there's like these gateways that open up and monsters come out and then you've got to fight the monsters uh, but what I like is that when you go to a location, you just draw a card and then it tells you kind of what will happen at that location. Um, and that's kind of cool because it's like you don't really know what's going to happen. And it's, I mean, it's rank, it's very random, but <laughs> it, it's still kind of cool. Uh, but I was confused a lot of the time and didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing, <laughs> I think. It, I found it was messy. It was a big, very messy game. And the ending was kind of worked. Like the goal is to, there's some big monster you got to fight. And um, like, I'm not really, this, the theme isn't for me. I'm not a big fight monsters kind of kind of guy for board games. Uh, but you're supposed to fight this big monster and I think it switches up every game. It's always somebody, something different. Um, and then any characters that are left in the game are like slowly losing life and losing, losing their minds. Yeah. yeah. And you're basically just trying to hold out enough rounds to kill the guy before he just wipes out all your characters. I like the idea of a big showdown to end in the game. I think uh, we didn't really know what we had to do to prepare for it, though. And so um, I think that's where a lot of confusion came in. I like that. It's kind of like you have to prepare how to how to prepare yeah. for the for the for the big bad. Yeah. So maybe if we if we knew what to expect the next time, it might go better. But honestly, I just kind of felt I was just kind of wandering around a lot and wasn't really sure what, what, to, what you- I should be doing. You just described Christmas with my relatives, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> yeah, so you were describing, I think you guys were playing the the, the second. I, I own Arkham Horror, the third edition, which I believe is a completely different entity. So when they, when they say it's Arkham Horror, third edition. Is that the one that's got like the modular board? Yes. Okay. It is very, I'll say it's, pandemic like but with a story and what you're doing is you're, you're unraveling a story every time that you play it is it what's happening 
I don't know that I, but I've heard the mechanisms are completely different yeah. than from like, say the, the second edition and by much so that they shouldn't even called it Arkham horror third edition. They just kind of should have called it Arkham horror, something else. A subtitle with another subtitle. <laughs> yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they completely revamped the whole game when they re-released it. I remember seeing some, uh, some of the guys playing this one at, uh, at Friday night games and um, I was watching it for a little bit in between games, and it uh, what what struck me the most was uh, I, the randomness just just did not appeal to me. Like like flip the card and so, it's like oh you fell down the hole you're dead right that it's that kind of abruptness that that I thought I, I, I like to have a little more control in the outcome. Of, of a game that I'm playing than, than this, than what I was witnessing that this game had. And what I also witnessed that I was also able to play two heavy Euro games while they weren't even done this one game. So I thought <laughs> I probably won't get this to the table because it's just not, it's just not hitting any of my checklists, but I'm, I'm glad that people like you sit in the chair for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's a highly regarded Cthulhu-like game amongst Cthulhu gamers. And yeah, it it's just ev- see, when when you look at a picture of it, it just looks like a massive convoluted mess. If you just and especially there's some pictures out there like it's got also like the second edition had a bazillion expansions. Yeah. Oh, and it's and an evergreen integrate. title, right? Like, yeah. And so, so like they were. So there's pictures of people that have incorporated every single expansion. And just and looks like a massive. Yeah, massive it took Lean like forever to set it up. <laughs> well, like he was setting too. it up like at least an hour before I even got there. Yeah. And piles of decks of cards like. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it is crazy. It's so, not. Yeah, so I've, heard, uh, yeah I've heard a lot of. The, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, as a, but yet heavily regarded as a good Cthulhu-like game. Yeah, but and I've heard a lot of people say that the third edition um, completely changes. The, like you said, it's a completely different game. So yeah, so if a lot of a lot of people like were turned off by the second edition, a lot of people are going, oh no no, give the third edition a try because they fixed everything that everybody didn't like about that edition. So the third edition still takes a long time to play. Like the introductory game, the one they say is your first game, still took Jen and I like three and a half hours to play. <laughs> oh man, that's like seven hands of Teutonicas. <laughs> <laughs> so all right oh, so that was cool. ian's experience with arkham horror <laughs> this episode of cardboard conjecture is proudly sponsored by dragon's den games located in the louis the eighth mall on h street in saskatoon swing by dragon's den games and let darren al and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games role-playing games miniature systems and all of the related accessories be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area dragon's den games louis the eighth mall on h street in saskatoon Welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. We are going straight into the review. 
the reviews. And here's the handoff to Ryan. Uh, yes, I'm excited to talk about this one. So the game that I chose this time around, yeah, is uh, is Targi, which was published in 2012 now, so a little bit of an older game, um, designed by Andreas Steger and published by Cosmos with the art by Tari, Tyra Atiksu and Franz Volwinkel. Oh, gosh, I apologize for names. I am not good at this. Uh, so Targi, it's a two-player-only game. So it's a, just a 1v1 game, and it generally takes about 45 to 60 minutes to play. Okay, so Targi. Unlike in other cultures, the desert Turag men, known as Targi, cover their faces, whereas women of the tribe do not wear veils. They run the household, and they have the last word at home in the tents. Different families are divided into tribes, headed by the Imashiran, or nobles. As leader of a Tureg tribe, players trade goods from near, such as dates and salt, or far, like pepper, in order to obtain gold and other benefits and enlarge their family. In each round, there are new offerings that are made, Cards are means to an end in order to obtain the popular tribe cards. These give advantages during the game and victory points at the end. Whoever has the most victory points is the winner of Targi. Okay, so let's just go into the nuts and bolts of Targi quickly here. So Targi is an abstract tactile action selection type of game. And like I mentioned before, it's, it's designed for only two players. The board, I'm gonna I put board in quotation marks here, it's made out of cards. Um, so there's 16 cards that create a border, and then there's nine cards that are placed into the center of, of, the, of this. Um, the 16 border cards depict all the different types of actions that players can assign their Targi figures to. And the nine central cards are made up of different things, like different goods or the different tribes that you can trade with. Uh, the main mechanism of this game is assigning your Targi figures to the border cards. You're going to put them all along the border. And then placing two tribe markers in the cross sections of those figures. So you'll have five pieces on the board, and then that means you're gonna be taking, most likely, five actions. You're just gonna be gaining goods, collecting tribe cards, taking various other different types of actions, like conversions. One of the big rules is that a player cannot place their target figure in a, where there is another target figure in either a row or a column. So if I'm on the top of one column, Ian, you cannot put your target figure at the bottom of that column. That's, that's a, that's a no-go. There's also a robber, which is this kind of like this other figure that's moving around the board. You just can't go where he is. And he also kind of acts like the game timer. As soon as he makes his all the way around the, the border, the game ends. Various other ways to score. There's, oh, sorry, there's various other ways to score points. Um, here and there throughout the game, you might get one point, two points for doing some certain actions. But the big main way is to collect these tribe cards and making um, trade routes with these different tribes. Tribe cards cost a certain number of goods to trade. And by paying the cost, you can put it into a tableau. You're going to have a tableau in front of you. And each tribe card is worth one to three points. And most will also give you some sort of in-game ability or end-of-game scoring. At most, though, you're going to acquire 12 of these tribe cards, um, creating three rows of four. You're awarded bonus points if 
all of the cards in a row are the same type of tribe, or if they're all different tribes, you'll score some bonus points in that regard. Um, the game will end one of two ways. One player either having all 12 cards built into their tableau, or when the robber reaches the final border card, at that time you'll see who has the most points. So this card setup, is it the same every time or the cards? So the border the cards? So the border cards are the same every single time. They then they're numbered one through sixteen. Okay. They go around. But the ones in the center, those are the ones that are going to be variable. There's going to be different types of goods. And they're going to rotate as you purchase those cards. As you take a, if you take a goods card, um, a tribe card is going to take its place. If you take a tribe card, a goods card is going to take its place. So the, the center nine are always changing throughout the whole game. Okay. But yeah, the, the, the 16 on the outside are always, um, always the same. Okay, let's get into some opinions. This game is nice and compact. As I can say, it's only some tokens and some cards. And it's housed in one of Cosmos's small boxes. Uh, that, that's the best way that I can explain it. They have a whole line of these kind of like two-player small box games. So it, it's very easy to travel with. Uh, we've taken this game various places, at, at, like, like, like the lake and other places, because it just travels easily and with the box. The art, I don't know if you're looking at this in here, but the art is very Euro-ish. Lots of browns. But that actually kind of makes sense because there's lots of setting. The setting is kind of like sand dunes in traversing the desert. Uh, the art is functional. It's not the drawing sticking point of this game. I seem to sound like this a lot in these past few episodes. Um, you will not be buying this game based solely on the art. Even though it's yeah, just I fun. like the Euro old Euro aesthetic anyway. Yeah, it, 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 it's nice. It's, it, it's very functional. The rule book. <clears throat> it's fine. It does a very good job explaining the flow of the game, um, exactly how it works. But even for a small rule book, like it's a two-fold booklet, they, they cram a lot of text into those six pages. Um, when I first read this booklet, um, I thought they may have been too detailed, like they went in too much detail in trying to make things, and they kind of re repeat themselves a couple times. But I guess that, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's better to be more detailed than too vague. In, in an explanation. I hate it when, when rules are too vague because then we get Brett uh, on, on the case. <laughs> <laughs> the rules lawyer. Uh, the components are very simple in Targi. Um, couple decks of cards, some cardboard tokens, nice wooden figures. A true example that less is more in this game. It's a big game created out of minimal components. So on that note, Let's talk about the gameplay because that is where people generally really talk about Targi. Um, in my terms, and we've mentioned this a few times before, is that it's an elegant design. It's very simple to teach and very simple to play. You're placing down your figures, you're finding those cross sections, and then I'm gonna take probably five actions and my opponent's gonna take five actions, move on to the next round. And we're not saying like actions are like convoluted, like an action is, get a good. I might take like one of my turns might be just five actions of just getting goods. And that would be a round sometimes. So 
trying to plan out the perfect turn at times, it's very difficult because of what your opponent is probably paying attention to what you're trying to do and block action spots that will coincidentally also block the cross-section goods or tribe cards that you're trying to claim. Um, it very much becomes a game of tactics. And that's what I really, really like about this game. Um, what can I settle for if my plan is ruined? Um, is what I'm settling for beneficial to my overall gameplay? Like those are questions you're going to ask yourself because this is very much a, um, I'm going to try to stop you at best possible. And while I'm trying to stop you, I'm going to try to also get something on, uh, out of mine. Um, I haven't talked about those action spaces very much, but they're very, very straightforward types of actions. Like get some goods, convert some goods to points or other goods. Um, but one really important uh, action spot that I should really highlight here is the uh, if your plan goes south, which mine always do, um, there is an action spot that allows you to move one of your cross-section tribe markers to any other unoccupied central card. That is key because utilizing that action space is very key to obtaining hard-to-come-by cards that your opponent keeps blocking you from getting. <laughs> Jen, you keep blocking me getting my cards that complete my set or something like my set of tribe cards or something like that. So like I mentioned, this is a game of tactics. Reacting to what your opponent is doing and placing their target figures, you need to be blocking your opponent consistently and getting in each other's way to do, in order to succeed at this game. So in that regard, interaction between players is very, very good in this game because you're constantly got to try to go back and forth. A um, couple other points I'm going to make about this gameplay. You are limited to only having 10 goods at the end of your turn. I kind of like this as a design choice as it stops you from the hoarding a ton of goods and then just claiming a whole bunch of cards. I like that you have to be limited. Um, every three rounds, there's a quote-unquote raid that happens where players need to either surrender goods or points. Yeah adds another nice little twist here that sometimes it might be beneficial to surrender your points in order to hang on to some goods for the next turn because you might have a big turn planned. Um, so raids, some, some things that you have to, hey, have to be planning for in, in Target. Okay, let's get to my conclusions. If you had, probably haven't heard from the tone of my voice. I you hate this game, it. man. <laughs> oh, nailed it right there. No. <laughs> Lots of conversations uh, have been around Targi and that it's be that, that it is like one of the premier two player only board games um, around. Um, it's always coming up in these top 10 lists of two player games and stuff like that. I think it's rightfully so. If there's a negative to this game, somebody please get on Twitter, get on <laughs> something and point it out to me. I can't really think of a flaw of this game other than that the rule book is too wordy because I don't like words because I'm a math <laughs> teacher. I'm always saying that the rule books have too many words. The design is elegant. Gameplay is smooth. It is simple to teach. The game time is that sweet spot of about 45 to 60 minutes. Games get closer to that 60 minutes because of, you know, analysis paralysis, which I tend to have. Uh, mid and late game because uh, as the round timer is counting down, um, I'm running out of time to do the things that I want to do. And that, that happens. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Um, 
Targi, I, I put it in here, Targi crams difficult, needy decisions into a very simple and small game. Not too many games do that, in my opinion. So kudos to this one. So not only is this a top shelf two player only game, this is a top shelf game overall. Mm-hmm. I'll even go out on a limb in here and I'll say it. I'll say it right here. This is mine and Jen's number one two player only game of all time at the cool. moment. Cool. According to BG Stats, we've played Targi 43 times <laughs> since we've owned it. Oh. And, and I've got it on here. Jen holds the record. She has 25 wins to my 18. And uh, this is still one we just, we just played it last night, actually. Are you sure you're a math night. teacher? <laughs> wait wait does that not add up no no i'm just joking it's oh, like phew. numbers 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 <laughs> so no i love this game too yeah absolutely it's it's fantastic I, I i think if you game with your significant other or you find yourself in situations where you're playing lots of two-player games this should be definitely one that i think people should um consider or even look and, and look up because and it's not expensive at all for what you're getting it is, mm, I think, at Amazing Stories, you can get it for $20, yeah. $25. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if, if you, I like to refer to it as the, uh, the, the movie ticket uh, comparison. Um, it's, it's it, this you game's paid for of, its hours of entertainment out of, yeah, out of you, that $25. You get, of, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Like I said, they, they made a big game out of very minimal components, a couple decks of cards. A few tokens. It's that and, it's and those that figures. matrices. It's that crossover in the middle X Y intersection thing. That's oh man, that's juicy. I love that. Yeah, yeah. cool. So so Targi, I highly recommend this one. It's still readily, it's still very readily available, and just entering into North American distribution right now is the expansion. The expansion is coming in, and um, Rado. Rado's gone on record saying that the expansion improves upon perfection. Like mm-hmm. He says that you, he'll never play Targi without the expansion content. So uh, that's one that I have to, that we have to uh, explore. All right. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escapes escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. So I um, am going to review a game called Newton. And, and it's not having to do with a cookie. It's having to do with the uh, scientific uh, enlightenment time. So Is Newton. that a good board game name, Ian? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so Newton is designed by Simone Luciani and Nestor Man. Mangioni, I think, um, uh, published by Cranio Creations and Simon, uh, artist Clement Franz. I don't usually, usually say the artist, but um, it's we're going to come back to that because uh, it's just you know the idea of looking like another heartless hero. And, and Norm, yeah, you have to correct that. It's come on, come yes. on, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yes, 
It's not a GIF. <laughs> it's a GIF, right? I get it. I get it. So it's uh, one to four players plays 90 minutes. Um, if you're playing four players, I can see that. Um, and it's considered by BGG to be a medium to medium heavy game. The nuts and bolts. So Newton, the middle of the 17th century was a period of great change. Uh, great changes. With the advent of the scientific method came what we now call the scientific revolution. Many great scientists with their theories and ideas changed and shaped our perception of the universe. Galileo, Galilei, Copernicus, Kepler, Bacon, and above all, Sir Isaac Newton. In Newton, the players take the role of a young scientist who wants to become one of the great geniuses of the era. To reach their ultimate goal, they travel around Europe, visit universities and cities, study to discover new theories, build new tools, and work to earn money. The game is played over six rounds. Each round, every player plays five cards from their hand, and each card played allows the player to perform one of many actions of the game. An action can have a, ver a variety of effects, which depend on the symbols on the board. At the end of the round, a player can take back all the cards except for one. I'll come back to that because I find that very intriguing. One card has to remain on the board, uh, which means that you're giving it one possibility of doing an action, but also that that very action will be carried out with greater strength. Fortunately, you can acquire new cards and with additional powers perform more actions. After six rounds, you calculate your final score and the player with the most VP wins. Thank you very much, Board Game Geek, for doing all the hard work for me. <laughs> so that's pretty much the overview of Newton. So it's a card-driven game, hand management, action selection, point-to-point -point movement on two different boards. You've got a map board and you've got a student going through studies kind of board um and everything like a good dry euro heartless euro every track is connected to or influences all the other tracks you can't really surpass a certain plateau without achieving or unlocking certain areas and other tracks consider that as i'm going on here so um, you start out with a hand of cards and uh, with this hand of cards, you play them to a player tableau, which um, is a chunk of cardboard, flat piece of cardboard, but it's so beautifully painted to look like a scholar's desk, right? Um, don't mention hands of Teutonica because they both feel the same. Beautiful, beautiful. Dry, dry Euro, desert dry Euro. Don't, don't mention Hansa Tanaga. I'm falling asleep again. <laughs> so um, the actions, you've got actions such as lessons where you're able to go to the market and get more cards depending on the power of your action. You have a compass which allows you to travel the map to go and visit universities and and sites and landmarks and cities, you have a work action, which is probably the most simplistic one because it's labor and you make money by just going up a track that has coins on it. But like every good Euro, there's threshold points that open up new advantages or bonuses that lead you to the ultimate thing in all Euros is the end of game victory point condition, right? Um, so, uh, we have technology action, which allows your, uh, on the second map, you have your student who is basically taking different tracks um, down scholarly activities, which uh, are basically leads you to end game, other end game variable victory point conditions, 
Um, you also have, and finally, these um, scholars have to study. So when you study, you take a little rectangular um, uh, a token that has a picture of books on it, and you put it in your library, and you start to fill in the shelves in your library because you've studied, right? And if you can complete certain sections of your of your shelves that would demonstrate your mastery and certain abilities that at the end of each round, if you can do so, will give you victory points. And as uh, many people know, nickels and dimes add up. So if you can finish a shelf in the first round over, and it's worth two points over six rounds, that's 12 points at the end of game. So there's a lot of interesting, you know, uh, computations to make as you make your choices. So, uh, what was not mentioned was the the one of the more intriguing parts of this game, and what I've discovered with all my plays is it is so integral to get these masters onto the board. So in the beginning of the game, you get a set of cards called the master cards, and you, like all good euros, you get a handful, and you need to get rid of some because you can't have them all. So upon looking at the board with all these end of game conditions and goals at the end of tracks that you can uh, uh, go to and the synergistic relationship to the masters in your hand, because these master cards um, have either uh, um, continuous advantages during the game uh, or immediate advantages during the game or are just worth a ton of points at the end of the game. Uh, if you have a card that does a lot of really good things, it's not going to have a lot of good victory points for the end of the game. Vice versa, if a card has relatively nothing on it as far as um, actions and benefits, well, it's going to have the most victory points because that's the balance in those master cards. Now, to get them onto your board, you have to um, pass certain thresholds on all these tracks that I've been talking about that will allow you to... Um, uh, have a master um, in your in your entourage that will enhance your engine's ability to perform. So, um, like I, like it was mentioned, this game plays over. You have five cards, or you have five uh, um, uh, rounds of cards to put down, and then you have one more round, a sixth round, to basically run that engine one more time. And um, the game ends with the person with the most victory points. So. Here comes, that was just basically, I could have described pretty much 90% of the euros just with that description of tracks <laughs> and moving things. Um, but don't be confused uh, um, I, I, with the whole heartless euro kind of poo-poo. No, no, here's my opinions. The box cover is everything I would expect from a heartless euro. Muted colors, simple <laughs> graphics, historic looking font, and Clemens Franz artwork. It is beautiful. It's magnificent. It makes me weep. I love it so much because I know what I'm getting into just looking at that box cover. Um, the components, it's a Euro. It's got awesome cardboard, cool looking wooden cubes that come in different colors. <laughs> Did I sell it? And the plastic resin and STL file so you can print your own cubes of many. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> The rule book, the, here's, here's the one that shocked me and surprised me. Don't mention Hansa Teutonica. Um, the rule book is clean as a German train schedule. Uh, it's, it, there's, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's very steps, very procedural. 
Um, the language that they use, this is what I was loving about it. The language that they use easily communicates to the player the concepts and, uh, and ideas uh, um, that they're trying to communicate to you. Um, and it's, and it's, I don't have to go to BGG to get, you know, you know, four or five different translations that kind of, you know, kind of do an angulation as to what the rule is supposed to be that nobody really can, can translate from German. Um, so yeah, no happy with the rule book. Uh, the gameplay and game system, <laughs> the only theme in this game is the title and the art. This is just <laughs> mechanisms, man. This is like, if you're looking for theme, uh, I read a comic book, I think. I don't know. But it's not in this game. <laughs> that, is, um, that is one thing I've heard about this game is that, yes, the, uh, the, the theme. It's literally painted on. Yeah, it does not match the puzzle. I've heard it more like a, as, a, as a puzzle. Like, yeah. Like good Euros are. Totally. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good segue. I'll drive right to that. Uh, um, it's basically, it's a synergistic machine of pushing cubes up tracks, having them trigger um, uh, other benefits and events. Now, the, now the, what, what I like about this, and I like it a lot, is that some games are, are, are this exact same thing, but they're not variable. All those little triggers are basically painted on. This game, you get to, you get twice as many chits for, let's say I'm putting down uh, technologies, right? I get more than I need to, to put them down in the slot. So I get this rotating variability and they appear different spots on the board. So this, this puzzle um, coalesces differently every time for me. And, and I look at, there's sometimes where I have great games and sometimes I have games where it's like, I, I, I mean, I, Einstein couldn't put this, like connect the dots together, right? And, and get good points. Sometimes the board does not give you anything, but right. Um, so um, does, uh, it's, yeah, like I said, don't expect much theme. This is all beautiful mechanisms that sometimes have the engine humming beautifully and sometimes it's like throwing a rod through the piston, right? Um, the machine works or the machine don't work. And for me though, as a game, this game works. If what you're looking for is a brilliant Euro with a strong puzzle that has so many other variable components that each time you set up the board, it's like trying to organize a 5,000 piece puzzle without touching any of the pieces. That's what I like about this game. Because every time you set it up, like I said, you gotta you gotta basically have that global, you know, beautiful mind step back and look at how all the things are supposed to connect and what you have with your cards. And oh, I love it. So my conclusion: my research was a success. And if you are interested in euros that have no player interaction, are heartless cube pushers, and the only theme is the one that the artist puts on the box, then this is the game for you. I love it. This one is definitely top shelf right beside some of my felds. I'll be honest. I would, I'm disappointed that the theme is not that strong because this idea of this history of science theme is actually something I'd be very interested in. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the, the flavor text is great. Like, I mean, they, they, as far as the master's cards, they, but as, but any kind of thematic, you're not doing you like, I'm I guess with it you. opens it up because I, I like the artwork. Like I'm looking at pictures of it and it looks 
like I like that they've got the all these all these historic scientist cards and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it opens it up for somebody to make a to make a thematic game with that theme because I'm almost thinking you can somehow incorporate the actual scientific method into your game turns, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of of oh. experimenting right building an experiment and then seeing if it fails or doesn't and then trying again i wonder if there's a way to make a euro like that that would fit the theme really well obviously i'm pushing on you're canadian you're not german but... see that's why i came out of your brain like that because you're canadian you're not yeah. German. <laughs> <laughs> um or, or sorry european my mistake because i'm pretty sure the two i think these are italian designers um, yes, um, some of my favorite. Well, yeah, I was going to say um, you designers. you love the Italian crew, don't you? Um, Simone Luciani. Designed, have you played this? I think you own this, Ryan. I have. I own it, and I've only just I've probably done what you did. I, I've done just kind of like a two-player me playing me run through of the, the mechanisms. The solo game is awesome. Like I, I yeah, played I'm, yesterday. I played the solo game four games in a row just to get myself back into okay the, uh, no, now i know why i like this game because yeah yeah because yeah, simone luciani he also did uh, the uh the voyages of marco polo okay the game that i really really enjoy and they did uh, barrage nespa yeah yes simone luciani was on the barrage design yeah. team as well yeah cool. and then all those other guys too like danielle tassini and virgio Ver- virgio they, 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 when when they design or then they release a game, I I kind of pay attention to because they kind of do create very neat, puzzly euros. Yeah, and I don't know, that's the math teacher in me is that I like these kind of ones where you kind of have to follow a recipe in order to find the thing. You got to find out the linkings of the mechanisms. Well, this game makes me want to read the rule book for Brage just to see if uh, once again it's it's uh, such a beautiful orchestration of of uh, euro tracks influencing euro tracks <laughs> and cubes too with different mm-hmm. colors um, and ryan to answer your question before no i don't like the name <laughs> I, I don't know why they're singling one guy out why is it just newton when there's so many others that it's dealing with in the game it should be called like masters of science or something ah oh, man i'm smelling i think there's going to be a design project up here this is going to it's going to pick your nerve enough that you'd be like, ah, I'm doing this myself. In 2033, Ian yeah. Osmond will release a game called The Masters of Science. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll have like a He-Man kind of looking guy on it with a, with a <laughs> nerd professor coat. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy online board game retailer located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles, as well as restocking all-time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200, or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. If you've made it this far, you've made it to the end of the podcast, and we thank you very much. Uh, I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And we'll catch you later. Bye.
This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek Guild number 3039. Yeah.